Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a big episode coming at you. It is our Premier League recap episode. We will also be covering some MLS and U.S. men's national team news, but we will start in the Premier League, of course. Everyone's final positions are determined. We will go from bottom to top, starting with the relegation battle. Uh, And it began midweek on Thursday before we got to the weekend. Uh, Burnley and Everton had big games on Thursday uh, trying to gain their safety. Yeah, and we'll start at Goodison Park because that game actually kicked off 15 minutes before the, the Burnley Villa game. And it was a nightmare start for Everton, giving up just a, an easy goal off a free kick uh, delivery. Jean-Philippe Mateta, the one who scored for Palace, made it 1-0. And then Jordan Ayew, just a horrific tackle on Anthony Gordon, somehow not given as a red card, even after VAR took a look at it. And then 45 seconds later, Jordan Ayew goes ahead and gives Palace a 2-0 lead, if that's not you know just the most Everton thing you've ever seen. And so the Toffees go into halftime, down two goals at home. The Goodison crowd is dejected. And just as that happens, Burnley get a penalty, won by Maxwell Cornet and dispatched by Ashley Barnes. So they were leading at Villa Park. Everton losing comfortably at home. And it seemed at that point, Justin, that, that we were in some real trouble because obviously Arsenal away, a game which we would end up losing. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but you know, not one of the more consequential games of Championship Sunday, to say the least. So Everton needed to turn it around. They really needed to, and they did. Frank Lampard subbed on Deli Alley at halftime for Andre Gomez, and that turned out to be a masterstroke. He completely changed the complexion of the midfield. Everton dominated the second half, and they found their goals, the first of which threw Michael Keane, of all people, a consummate finish on the outside of his left boot under pressure in the box just not something I would have thought he had in his locker the best touch I've ever seen for Michael Keane oh by far and definitely the most important as well and then the equalizer came through Richarlison about 20 minutes later uh, he collected the ball in the box after a shot Deli Ali's cross actually was blocked and came back to him and uh, it took a slight deflection off of Connor Gallagher. I think it was going in either way. That made it 2-2, and you could just kind of feel that a third was coming. And, and Calvert-Lewin said that post-match, he said, you know, you can just kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to nick a goal. And that's exactly what he did. It was a delicious delivery from Damari Gray. Calvert-Lewin gets on the end of it, diving at her in past Jack Butlin, nothing he could do about it. And the limbs in the Gladys street were unbelievable. Uh, There were some idiotic fans who ran on the pitch, even though the game wasn't even over. So there was a bunch of players making, trying to get them off the pitch as soon as possible. Uh, You know, we don't need that much stoppage time. There were seven minutes of stoppage time, but Everton saw it out very professionally and confirmed the club's safety. And I mean, Justin, this comeback can't be understated. I mean, this was the first time Everton had come back from a two goal deficit at halftime since April, 1977, Justin, I mean, this is unprecedented. And, you know, I was watching with my friend who's also an Evertonian and we just felt at halftime. Oh, there's not a shot. Like we're Everton. We don't, we don't do stuff like this. We don't come back in the second half down two goals and we found a way and it was absolutely incredible. It really was. Uh, There is no understating it. 
your explanation and you're walking us through it was incredible. I felt like I was watching a movie uh, with your emotions there. You know, to me, it is what Rich Arlison has done in the past couple months, uh, just clutch goals and the energy, uh, both offensively and defensively, his work rate off the ball, everything he's been doing in the past couple months uh, is just unbelievable. The, the level that he stepped it up to, to me, clutch Richie is a whole different player than, than earlier midseason Richarlison. Uh, he really is just a, a very clutch, clutch player. The best comparison I can think of is, is Kobe Bryant. I, I don't know why he's just so um, much better when it, it, Reverton needs him. Um, maybe he just he just loves the club that much, and, and he really came up clutch again. Of course, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well. But uh, just congratulations to you and Thank you. A, a massive, massive win for Everton. And, yeah, you know, I, know it, it, I was just going to say, just touching on Clutch Richie, as you like to call it, um, I know that there was a stat that the Everton official account put out a few weeks ago, and I bet you this still probably holds true, but since Richarlison joined Everton at the beginning of the 2018-19 season, no player in the Premier League has scored more goals which have directly impacted the result of a game. So if that doesn't tell you that he comes up in big moments, I don't know what does. And, you know, as you said, he's been huge recently. In his last four home games of the season, he had four goals and an assist. Um, you know, he he obviously had a down last season and has struggled a bit this season to find form. But when we needed him, he stepped up big time. There's no question about that. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is probably the worst season in most Evertonians fans' lives. Um, but it was just so massive that they didn't get relegated because of the financial situation that Everton are yeah. in right now. Um, you know, if they would have gotten relegated, they would have had to sell so many players uh, and decrease their wage bill mightily, probably over 50%. Um, oh, wait, and so more than that even. More to, than so that even. To, to stay up right now uh, in the financial trouble that they're in and with FFP looking at them and, and all of these things, uh, it's just very, very important that Everton uh, didn't go down this year specifically because uh, it would have been much harder for them to bounce back up uh, than it might be for another team or Everton in a different year. A hundred percent. And there were a lot of journalists um, like Patty Boylan and Greg O'Keefe of the athletic who cover Everton, you know, who all season were saying, this is pretty much the worst possible time for Everton to be in a relegation battle. Um, but, you know, the relief was very evident. You know, this has been a season that has been unbelievably painful for Evertonians. Um, and the amount of stress that we've had really since about December is when I think we started realizing, okay, wait, like relegation is a real possibility here. And it's been five months of, you know, bad results, horrible luck with refereeing. If you want to call it that, I know there's a lot of Evertonians who say, Oh, it's not luck at this point. It's corruption. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say they, they, they have an argument is all I'd say, but uh, I mean, it's just been a gruesome, horrible season to endure. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I have all summer to try to purge it from my memory. Absolutely. And then, we said Burnley drew with Aston Villa 1-1 on Thursday, which meant going into Championship Sunday that they needed to get at least the same result as Leeds United uh, in order to gain safety. They were level on points, but they had a superior goal difference. Uh, Leeds played against Brentford and Burnley against Newcastle, and it was more drama in the relegation battle, wasn't it, Garrett? 
Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think these results, I, I mean, it wasn't that surprising what happened, but obviously Leeds were still pegged to be the favorites because they needed help from Newcastle, right? Even if Leeds won, if Burnley, well, and Leeds did win, obviously. If Burnley won as well, then Leeds still would have gone down. They needed that help from Newcastle and they got it. We know Newcastle have been in really good form um, really for the last, you know, four or five months. I mean, they went to turf more and they got it done. It was Callum Wilson with a brace. And although Maxwell Cornet pulled one back for Burnley, it wasn't enough. The atmosphere at turf more towards the end of that game got quite toxic. Meanwhile, Leeds, who, you know, didn't even need to win the game at the end. They just needed the draw. They ended up getting a 94th minute winner through Jack Harrison. So that was kind of the cherry on top for Leeds United, who will be staying in the Premier League. And, and that's, you know, what we said we both wanted. Leeds are a huge club great fan base, amazing history. And, and I'm really glad to see them staying in the top flight, not only because of that, but also obviously Jesse Marsh being manager. Absolutely. That American connection, right? He's, he was uh, falling to the ground in excitement and he gave a, a moving uh, post-game speech as well, unsurprisingly. Uh, and not only just that American connection, but Brendan Aronson is looking to make a $30 million move to Leeds, uh, which basically has been done for a while. You know, Leeds have wanted him for a couple years now, nearly got the, the uh, job done last summer, but it didn't quite get over the line on the last day. Um, and so now they, they've had this in place. They just needed to make sure they weren't going to get relegated, of course, because they didn't, weren't going to drop $30 million on Brendan Aronson had they gotten relegated. Um, but they didn't, so they are going to sign Brendan Aronson, an American and a former MLSer. By the way, Jack Harrison, another former MLSer with that uh, game-winning 94th-minute goal. So just all this American MLS connection to, to Leeds, we love to see them stay up. Uh, and of course, Brentford, you know, still staying up with that. But it was uh, Burnley, who have been in the league for a long time now, finally going down. Yeah, and from their perspective, it's kind of similar to the Everton situation in terms of financially, this is an absolute disaster for them with the way that their takeover worked and kind of the loans that they have from the Premier League itself. They are going to be in a world of trouble. I don't really see them coming up back up anytime soon. They're going to have to sell most of their players. There's already rumors of James Tarkovsky uh, being wanted by both Leicester and Everton. Um, and Maxwell Cornet, Justin, I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but the Athletic has reported he has a release clause of 17.5 million pounds. So there's no way that doesn't get triggered. Um, so he will also be leaving. I would be surprised if Veghorst stayed. I mean, this is going to be a complete overhaul for Burnley. They don't have a permanent manager. Their finances are in shambles. So, you know, I, I think obviously they're not going to come up next year. I, I don't even think that's a possibility at this point. At this point, I'd be kind of worried that, you know, they might be finding themselves towards the bottom of the championship sooner than later. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, if they lose Dwight McNeil as well, it's, we know that uh, relegated clubs get raided, but uh, it's looking to be a big raid of Burnley probably. Uh, and then going to another club that are in a very bad time right now, it is Manchester United. Uh, they were competing for that sixth Europa league spot, right? Um, and they needed to get a win to guarantee it because West Ham were on their tails and they couldn't get the job done. Another bottle drop for Manchester United, uh, Wilfred Zaha getting the lone goal there and beating United 1-0. The thing is, lucky for them, West Ham decided to bottle it back. Yeah, I mean, Brighton 
are a good team. We know that they finished ninth this year. It's th- this is their best season in the Prem. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people have been calling for Graham Potter to, you know, be in the manager of the season conversation. We'll, we'll talk about manager of the season a little bit later, but you know, West Ham, this is a game that they need to be winning. You know, the difference between Europa league and, and Europa conference league is a big deal, not only for the prestige, but also in terms of um, the, the revenue that they'll be getting. And so it's disappointing for them to, you know, go out in the Europa League semifinals and then they're not even going to qualify for it next year. Although what I would say is that the Conference League could be probably their best chance at silverware in quite a quite a long time, like a very long time. So I guess that's the one positive of this for West Ham, but um, you know, their lone goal came through Mikel Antonio, actually gave them a 1-0 lead and then they just collapsed in the second half. Goals from Veltman, Pascal Gross, and Danny Welbeck, which put the cherry on top for Brighton, giving them the victory uh, at the Amex. And, uh, you know, yeah, West Ham gave it right back over to United. And, you know, kind of a similar situation where, you know, United didn't actually end up needing to win. They didn't even need a point because, you know, West Ham bottled it. Absolutely. And it's what we've been seeing with the top four race throughout the season, Uh, you know, the two North London clubs, Tottenham and Arsenal, have just been bottling it back and forth to each other, right? And last week, we saw Arsenal bottle it once more against Newcastle uh, and give it right back into the hands of Tottenham, who only had Norwich to play. Uh, and Antonio Conte said, we are not doing anything Spurs in this game. We are going to batter Norwich City 5-0 and get a couple for Heung-Min's son so he can get level with Mohamed Salah and get that golden boot as well. Yeah, well, I mean, he had sole possession of it for a few minutes, but then, you know, Salah found what ended up being the winner against Wolves. And obviously we'll talk about Liverpool a little later, but here's the one thing I'll say about this, Justin. Yes, job well done to Spurs. They took it seriously. They played their best team. They battered Norwich. But some of the shouts I've been seeing on Twitter of like, oh, Spurs, you know, they rose to the occasion. They finally didn't bottle it. There's not a lot of praise. I'm like, guys, it's, it's Norwich. As soon as Newcastle <laughs> lost or as soon as Newcastle beat Arsenal, like, like, yeah, you, you, of course you're not going to bottle like that. That would, that's not even bottling it at that point. That's worse than bottling it that, you know, so they're like, Oh, it, the Spursiest thing to do would be loose in orange. I'm like, no, that is, that is ridiculous. This is the worst team in the league, but you know, over the last three seasons, right. The two of the three years they've been in the prem, they finished bottom both times, you know, they didn't play their, their best 11, not even close really. And, and you know, it, it, so Yes, Spurs battered Norwich. Congrats to them on making top four. I think overall that achievement should definitely be praised considering where they were when Conte took over. But uh, I think a little bit too much credit for not pulling off the greatest bottle job in the history of top four bottle jobs. So, Yeah, I don't think that uh, we should be praising them for beating Norwich, but it is exactly what you're saying, that getting top four uh, where they were when Conte came in. And, you know, Conte, I mean, is, in my opinion, the third best manager in the league, potentially third best manager in the world, because the, the Prem is just so stacked with top managers right now. Uh, Ten Hag now coming in as well. But to me, it's Conte becoming this title challenger because that's what he's now wants to do. He said that he needs to become a uh, Uh, challenging with City and Liverpool next season. And to me, the question is, how are you going to really do that? Um, Who are you going to bring in this summer that's going to really challenge, especially when Man City are getting somebody like Holland? Um, 
it, it just seems a little bit far-fetched to me, but I, I love the ambition from Conte. And Arsenal, obviously, you know, we're praying that Norwich would, you know, beat Spurs because a draw wouldn't even be enough unless Arsenal beat Everton by 16 goals, which they didn't. They beat him by four, though. Still, you know, a very solid performance for Arsenal against an Everton team that were halfway to the beach by then. I saw a couple of jokes on Twitter saying that uh, we fielded Asmir Begovic, who was wearing flip flops and had his Lucozade bottle filled of pina colada. So it's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Everton did not care about this game even slightly, right? Uh, started an okay lineup, uh, nothing special, and went out there and just were on vacation already, as you say. Um, but with that, I think we can move to the most exciting part of the championship Sunday, and that was the title race, of course. Uh, I mean, it was a packed championship Sunday all around, but this title race was unbelievable. Of course, Manchester City and Liverpool um, City needed to either, you know, get a win to guarantee or get a draw uh, while Liverpool were losing or even a loss while Liverpool drew. So just a better result, essentially, than, than Liverpool uh, or, or a win. And so... It started off very poorly for both teams. Uh, Liverpool in the third minute conceded to Pedro Neto, who, by the way, Liverpool and City are both interested in. I think Liverpool a little bit more. Um, but a massive start, and I'm thinking, okay, look at that. We not only are going to be okay, but Liverpool are, are struggling as well. Then Maddie Cash hit us in the 37th minute with the opening goal, uh, and that's when the stress started coming in, right? Uh, down one nil Liverpool, then level it up. Um, Sadio Mane in the 24th minute, one, one there, and we're down one nil. And then it is Philippe Coutinho in the 69th minute, making it two nil to Aston Villa. And at this point, I mean, you just think that we've bottled the, the title. I mean, really the biggest bottle in Premier League history besides probably Gerard Slip. Because Liverpool are level 1-1 with 20 minutes to go. They're going to find a winner, right? I mean, Liverpool always do find a winner. But now City are down 2-0 at home uh, with 20 minutes to go. It's just not looking good. The odds are, are very slim. But Pep Guardiola had other ideas. Uh, his substitutions of Zinchenko... And Gundogan onto the pitch absolutely changed the game. Uh, and it started that way. But it was five minutes and 36 seconds that completely turned around the title race. It started with Sterling on the right wing, crossing it far post. Gundogan getting the header in the 76th minute, 2-1 one, one to Aston Villa. Quickly, within two minutes... Zinchenko on the left side beats his man, plays it to Rodri, who simply passes in it in the bottom left corner. And it's 2-2, just like that. Within three minutes after that, it is Ilkay Gundogan with his second off of Kevin De Bruyne's peach of a ball. Gundogan could not miss. Kevin just hopping on a loose ball. Everybody in City's team was, was jumping and ready to go. As you say with DCL for, for uh, Everton, the City players just knew the goal was coming now. Kevin De Bruyne put it right across. Title-winning assist. Gundogan and the limbs 
all in the Etihad were just everywhere. We didn't rush the pitch like the Evertonian fans because we knew that there was the game wasn't over yet. But just absolute scenes, the best way to win a title since Aguero uh, 10 years later. It's just, I can't even put my emotions into words. I was so happy. I was screaming and jumping around my apartment. Uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, a second Aguero moment almost. No, it's almost poetic. It is poetic. You know, 10 years exactly after the Aguero moment. And, you know, this is yet again, the, this is the most dramatic finish to a season to a title race we've had since then you know obviously we had a similar situation a couple years ago where city needed to beat it needed to beat brighton at the mx and you know they went one nil down but you know they were four one up by the end of it it was pretty clear they weren't going to bottle it from there but this was the most dramatic finish to a season we've had since the aguero moment since 93 20 and i bet you 536 is going to be a big number that we hear for a while now you know uh and you know both of those moments end in the same thing with absolute drama at the Etihad and city coming out as champions. Um, I really could not believe what I was watching. I, I agree. I, I thought city bottled it and I was fuming. Cause that meant that the Liverpool quadruple was still on and I was not excited about that. Um, but you know, wow, what a five minutes, just gripping TV. Uh, the call from Arlo white phenomenal uh, the limbs at, at, at the Etihad, as you said, I mean, I think, the limbs at the Etihad and the limbs at Goodison this week were the best we've seen all season, you know, without a shadow of the doubt. So um, yeah, that, that was just incredible, Justin, really amazing to watch. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the level of the premier league just keeps rising. It's, it's actually incredible in the team with the least um, expected goals conceded has won the premier league four of the past or sorry, five of the last six seasons. So the defense is just winning titles now, by the way, the only exception to that Liverpool um, city have had it all of their titles. Uh, and then additionally, when you look at the top manager of all time, this is why I say it just has to be Pep Guardiola because he is winning the premier league consistently in the most difficult time ever. You look at Jurgen Klopp, he has now had point totals of 99, 97, and 92, and he only got one Premier League title. Meanwhile, the people that, the, the, the guy that everyone talks about is the greatest manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, never got above 91 points, and he has 13 Premier League titles. It really shows you the, the rise in level uh, in the Premier League over these past few years. Uh, and to me, why Pep Guardiola is in, undoubtedly the best manager of all time. 10 uh, league titles in 13 managerial seasons is just unbelievable. Uh, the other three, he finished second, second, and third. Yeah, I mean, it takes a incredible manager to keep Klopp at one of three titles. When you, when you look at those points totals, I mean, that's ridiculous that they only won one of three. But, you know, that shows just how good Guardiola is and how good city are that, you know, they've been able to still consistently other than, you know, the one season beat Liverpool to the title, despite, you know, Liverpool being so good. And, you know, they only lost two games this year and they still don't win the title because that's how good uh, city are. And it's not like it's a one season thing, like being able to do that consistently is incredibly impressive. You're not wrong. And, you know, I, I agree. I think Pep is the best of all time at the moment. That's I would have to agree with you, but I, I will say that I do want to see him focus 
on the Champions League because if you guys win a Champions League, that is the one thing against him is he's been at City for five years. He's spent this amount of money. He has this squad and they've bottled it in the Champions League every single season. So I really hope that with the Holland edition, you know, in order to cement Pep's legacy as the undisputed best manager of all time, that City don't bottle it for once. That's 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 what I'm saying. I hope so too, man. I hope so too. Uh, I, th- I think Holland can be that guy. Uh, he was at the Eddie had watching this game, by the way, uh, and just saw the mentality of the team that he is joining. Uh, that is the mentality of champions and why Manchester city are the top team. And it's just incredible. And as you say, uh, pitch invasion afterwards, only one, not two like Everton, but, um, the question that really has been brought up recently with these pitch invasions is the safety of players and staff. To me, that's always been an issue. I've always uh, been worried when there's a pitch invasions of the, the players just don't have time to get off the pitch and there's just not enough security to help them off the pitch in, in time because uh, the fans are just on there so quick. And there are problems in all three of these pitch invasions over the past week, Garrett, uh, starting at the Eddie had, it was, uh, a city fan hitting Villa goalkeeper Olsen in the back of the head uh, as he was, you know, trying to just walk off to pitch after the game uh, at Goodison Park. Uh, an Evertonian fan got in Patrick Vieira's face uh, and was screaming at him. Pa- Patrick Vieira re- retaliated, um, and then Nottingham Forest fans rushed the field, and Billy Sharp was just body tackled a slam to the ground had to get stitches and everything this is becoming a real uh, danger for both players and staff uh and so it's been talked about should pitch invasions be banned yeah i mean i think the pitch invasions themselves aren't the problem because you know we have storming the court storming the fields in the united states in sports and you don't really see issues like this the behavior of the fans is the problem and i guess just the fans in itself and the culture, I think that's what's the problem. And obviously if those are things that can't be fixed and we can't, you know, increase security or or make sure that these incidents aren't happening, then pitch invasions might have to be banned, but they shouldn't have to be right. We've seen that this can happen without a problem and that fans can celebrate with the players and, you know, Vieira incident aside, what happened at Goodison was beautiful. What happened at the Eddie was beautiful. Uh, players, fans, singing, celebrating, dancing, the flares, the music, the celebrations, fantastic, right? But you're not wrong. This needs to be cut out. And so I really do think the Premier League need to look into a way that or a protocol or whatever it is to make sure that these beautiful moments of celebration between players and fans and coaches and the club um, can still occur without this violence and this just ridiculous behavior by some of these fans um, and, and I'm not sure what that solution is, but I would hate to see pitch invasions being banned because they are amazing moments uh, that people will never forget. But at the same time, you know, safety is got to be the number one priority. Um, so I'm just really hoping that there's something the Premier League, the FA can do to make sure that we don't lose these moments. But at the same time, we don't have players and coaches being attacked by fans who are just being absolute idiots. Yeah, to me, I can't blame the culture. To me, if you have 30, 40, 50,000 people, there's always going to be five idiots, you know, and somebody's going to do something idiotic. And so That's a good point. To, to me, there there has to be some other solution. Um, 
the problem is, is that it's so hard to prevent people from just rushing the field, even if you have a ton of security. I mean, they're just always outnumbered. I mean, there's just, that's just how it works, right? Um, so it, there has to be some accountability from the fans. I think the best way that potentially we could do this is just allow a pitch invasion, but you need to wait until ev all the players, especially the opposing players, everybody gets off the pitch first, gets into the locker rooms, and then maybe you can pitch invade. I know that takes a little bit more you know, awareness um, and you want to just celebrate all the excitement that you have in your body, but there has to be a, a way that we can keep these players and staff safe because pitch invading while they're still on the pitch and having these uh, dangerous situations is definitely not the answer to me. No, I agree. But I just think the problem with it is that, you know, the implementation of that is going to be really difficult because the whole point of this is that Absolutely. it's an overflowing of emotion and it's people just, you know, running onto the field. And so getting, getting people to wait, I, I, I don't know. I think that's going to be really tough to impart, but then, you know, what do you do to stop it? Like people are calling for points deductions and stuff. That's outrageous. That's ridiculous. You're not going to be deducting points. Oh, city lose the title. Cause their fans want to celebrate winning the title. Give me a break. You know? So well, I, I think it would I, be I the know. next it's, season points deduction, but still, I mean, yeah. still, it's still, that's still ridiculous. And so, you know, there's gotta be, some other solution. And, you know, I, I'm kind of glad it's not my job because it's a, it's a high pressure job to have at the moment, because, you know, something needs to change before next season for sure. Right. I mean, they used to have, you know, giant barriers and fences in English football um, and, and they got taken down because it, progress was made and you don't want to see that kind of thing have to be implemented again. No. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, we can move on to some Premier League awards, Garrett, uh, starting with the Premier League actually announced a couple brand new awards for this season that have never been uh, in the past. The first one is the most powerful goal. I think we both find this a little bit weird. Obviously, this is just the, the goal that was struck with the most power at the fastest you know, speed. Uh, they can track these things now and determine how fast each shot was going. The fastest shot uh, in the league gets this award. Garrett, thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. Do they count penalties? That's my question. Because then someone, you know, someone's going to just try to hit a penalty as hard as possible and pray it goes in. And then maybe they win that award at the end of the season. It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I would hope not, but maybe so. Um. And then the other one, which in my opinion is a much better award and much more interesting is the most improbable comeback, which, you know, also is a very statistical measurement of percentage chance of, you know, uh, winning a game down. And we saw two massive ones. Obviously, we talked about Everton and City. These are two incredibly improbable comebacks. I don't know if they were necessarily the most improbable all season. We'll find out uh, when this award is given out, but uh, I think this one's pretty interesting. Yeah, I do too. I, I think leads at Wolves is another possibility, although obviously Wolves were down to 10 men because of that second yellow that Raul Jimenez never should have gotten. And I was very upset about it at the time, but I'm glad that, you know, that actually ended up keeping leads up pretty much. And it also didn't screw over Everton. So now I'm fine with it. But, you know, they were down 2-0 and then scored three goals in the last like 10 minutes, including that Luke Ayling winner in stoppage time, which was just, nuts so that's another I, I think i would be shocked if it was a game other than the two you just mentioned and that leads come back at, at molyneux 
but yeah, no, I like this word. I, I think it's cool. And to see which, you know, of these is the most improbable, you know, I'm excited to see who wins that award. Absolutely. Uh, and then we can move into the more normal awards that we, that we see, um, whether real awards or, or media, you know, pundit awards, uh, starting with the signing of the season, Garrett. Uh, I think this is a really good one. There's been a lot of uh, good signings this season, but what is the number one signing of the season for you? For me, and I feel like this might be going a little bit under the radar, but for me, it's Dayon Kulusevsky, Justin. Five goals and eight assists in 18 appearances you know, direct correlation with Spurs turning their season around, obviously Conte, a big part of that as well, but he was kind of the final jigsaw in Spurs attack. You have Kane and son, they needed someone to compliment them to set both of them up so that, you know, they weren't just relying on each other the entire time. And I think Kulisevsky has been brilliant. He's still so young, 21 years old. They have the, uh, the obligation to buy um, and it's not a, a super high fee. So for me, I think that was a genius bit of business from them. Dayan Kulusevsky. The words out of my mouth, Garrett. I, I also think it's Dayan Kulusevsky. I just think this guy's an incredible, incredible talent. Uh, 22 years old, you know, younger than I am. Uh, and bagging incredible performances week in, week out for Tottenham Hotspur. He's fit into Conte's system so, so well. Uh, and it's impressive, right? Because he hasn't been here the whole season. He's only came, you know, in January. Uh, and still, to me, is the signing of the season over players that have been uh, quality all season, like, you know, maybe Jose Saw, uh, guys like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in general, there there haven't been a ton of, additions that have been like big game changers obviously you know Ronaldo to United Ronaldo, scored yeah. a lot of goals yeah that's that's up there but compared to seasons in the past where you know there's been a huge debate around who the signing of the season is where I feel like this year teams have just been using a lot of existing players and then you know some of the signings that have been made have not worked out as well and that's our segue Justin into flop of the season and I, and I feel like I know who you're gonna say but go ahead and let me know Romelu Lukaku yeah, it has to be, um, you know, 26 goals, eight, uh, I mean, sorry, 26 matches, eight goals is not horrible, but it's way, way underperforming. Uh, and not only that, but the off the field issues he's brought to Chelsea, uh, the way that, you know, Tuchel has brought him in and become, he, he was supposed to be the shining light to, to bring Chelsea into the title race. Uh, and he just wasn't that Tuchel didn't even want to start him for most of the season because he just wasn't performing. And well, yes, he can bag a couple goals, um, not really anything important, nothing clutch and just a, a really, really poor season for Romelu Lukaku, especially after what you saw him do in Serie A the season prior. Well, I mean, here's what I think is the biggest problem with it, Justin. And, and just for context, I have also picked Romelu Lukaku. He was their top scorer in all competitions this season. I don't know if you were aware of that, but his 15 goals in all competitions puts him above Kai Havertz in second with 14. Um, but you're right for the wow. price tag and the expectations. And, you know, I'm a guy in the predictions who, you know, really gambled big on Chelsea. And I had a lot of faith in Romelu Lukaku because, you know, I've seen what he can do in the Premier League at Everton firsthand, you know, and uh, as much as, yeah, the season hasn't been awful just in terms of his output and like, his he, he leads the entire squad in uh, goals per 90, actually, 
if you exclude Ross Barkley and Ben Chilwell, who've barely played. Um, so, you know, statistically, it hasn't been awful. But for the price tag, for what people expected when he was coming in, it, I mean, it has to be. And, you know, I don't really – I can't really think of who any – competitors for that could be because i feel like a lot of the other signings in the leagues have done well so i'm not quite sure who who would be up there you know next to him so for me yeah i I think think, it's a pretty clear answer well yeah i think the one that everyone would bring up would be jack Grealish, right um but to me it's the fact that you don't expect as much from jack Grealish coming into the city side because no winger that Pep has signed has hit the ground running because that's not how it works in his system. You really yeah. have to learn uh, how, how Pep's system work. And usually it's that second or maybe even third season where the winger really starts uh, producing numbers uh, and incredible performances. You know, Jack Grealish has definitely picked it up towards the end of the season, but it's just not exactly what you would need from him. Um, so that's, that's my thing there. Yeah, I mean, but people said the same thing about Bernardo Silva, right? Like after his first right. season, they're like, oh, didn't live up to it. And and Bernardo Silva is a world-class footballer. And we've seen, he, he, like, he's brilliant. Um, and so I would be shocked if Grealish, you know, didn't hit the ground running really this season, um, especially with, you know, some of the other players potentially leaving with, with you know, Jesus, or, you know, we could see one of Mares or, or Sterling being sold. We've been talking about that for a while, but no, I, I think Grealish, and that's also a, a longer term project, right? Like he's 25. Mm-hmm. So he's not like the youngest, but um, you know, Lukaku is not getting any younger. And that really seemed like a win now transfer for Chelsea. And yeah. I think that's how everybody viewed it. And it did not work. Yeah, 29 years old is you need to perform right now. Um, and, and yeah, just also, it's like Grealish has never been in, in that system, that type of system either. Grealish has been in Villa his entire life where he's the guy who has the ball and goes 1v1 against players, which is simply not what you do at City. Um, yeah, and he was the, the the centerpiece of that entire squad where, you know, at City, that's not the case. You know, unless you're Kevin De Bruyne, which nobody else is, you're not going to be the best player in City's team. You know what I'm saying? Um, and also I think we've seen just with kind of like Messi's move to PSG when you're at one club, your entire life and are used to a certain way of playing your entire life uh, and in a certain environment, your entire life, it it is inevitable that it's going to take you a bit of time to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And moving from that, we went signing of the season flop of the season. Now we'll go back up player of the season. Uh, for me, it's, always going to be Kevin De Bruyne. This guy is just absolutely unbelievable. I know that his numbers are not what Salah's numbers are, but the the impact that he makes, the way that he's been playing over these past couple of months in the title race when it really mattered, the, the title winning assists to Ilkay Gondwin, we've talked about it before. You know, Salah has been uh, very poor recently over these the past, you know, few months. And so when it matters, Kevin De Bruyne stood up and carried Manchester city to the title Salah on the other hand, bottled it for Liverpool. Would you be shocked if I said I haven't picked De Bruyne or Salah? Not if you're picking Heung-Min's son. That's exactly who I'm picking. I mean, 23 non-penalty goals for Tottenham Hotspur, obviously, you know, finished fourth, good team and all, but I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, Just his clinicality, his ability to, you know, just make chances out of nothing to, to score from wherever he is on the pitch, left foot, right foot, headers, whatever it is. I, I just think, 
he is an incredible player. Um, I'm going to call you out, Zilla, right now. How you can think he's not world-class is insane. Uh, oh, don't worry. I, mean, I convinced him he was wrong on that. He, okay, he put good. A, Thank he put God. out a tweet correcting himself. Okay, good. Because I, I don't know how you can say, you know, a guy winning the golden boot, obviously tying it with Salah, but with no pens, you know, in the best league in the world, playing for a team that isn't, you know, the top one or two teams, a team that mm. until the end of the season – you know, we're in mid table for a while, right? Like they, they were not that good at the beginning of the year and he was still producing and ends up tying for the golden boot without taking a single penalty. I mean, for me, it's gotta be Youngman's son. Um, you know, we've known he's a great player and him and Harry Kane have an incredible link up, but he reached a, a new level this season under Antonio Conte. And, you know, I think he could do it again next year. Who knows? Um, Spurs are definitely on the up. Absolutely incredible player. I would have to agree with you. He's my he's second for me. He's he's above Salah. And to me, the point you made of he's not on uh, nearly as good of a team and still producing nearly the same numbers. Um, that is the, the massive difference for me. Uh, the, the way that he can do it within a, a much poorer team that Salah's uh, scoring these goals and obviously penalties as well, but he's doing it where he's getting way more chances uh, than Shungman Sun is. All right, Justin, and then moving from the pitch to the touchline to the technical area, even manager of the season. I think this is a really interesting one. I'm not really sure where you're going to, I mean, I feel like you're going to go pep. I'm kind of hoping you, you go with a rogue shout, but what are you saying? I got you covered then Garrett. You mentioned him earlier, Graham Potter. Uh, This guy, he has to be the manager of the season, in my opinion, um, because he has taken Brighton who finished 16th last season he now has them ninth top half of the premier league table with 51 points um compared to 41 last season it's it's a big big improvement and not only is he doing that but he's not playing in uh, a burnley type of way or a lower you know team type of defensive strategy no he plays a very expansive open beautiful style of football uh, that is, you know, very difficult to play against top opposition, yet he does it and brings Brighton to the top half of the Premier League. Yes, what Pep Guardiola has done is absolutely incredible and, you know, should always be recognized. But um, I think that you have to also recognize when a manager is doing something way over uh, what their squad says they should do. See, Graham Potter would be my manager this season if Eddie Howe didn't exist. Because for me, what he's done at Newcastle is just a bit ridiculous. And I know, you know, they got to spend in January. They brought in good players. Bruno Guimaraes has been crucial. But at the same time, what he's done with the players they've had, and I've talked about this in the past, Justin. I mean, Joelinton looks like the worst $50 million anybody's ever spent in the Premier League. And he's been quality playing center mid. Who knew he would be center mid? Well, Eddie Howe did, apparently, because he moved him there, and he's been fantastic. And he took this team, Justin, They were horrible at the beginning of the season. He took them from 19th to 11th in half of a season. That is ridiculous. And as we said, they've been one of the best teams in the league since the start of of 2022. For me, what he's done there has been amazing. I think he is totally deserving of keeping that job. A lot of questions were asked of, oh, is Eddie Howe the stepping stone manager? Oh, are they going to just keep him? Uh, getting them now to keep them up and then they get someone else. No, he deserves to be uh, with the reins of this project. He's going to have a lot of money to spend new players to bring in. They're going to be clearing out a lot of the dead wood in, in, in that team. 
I think Eddie Howe has done an incredible job at Newcastle, and I'm really excited to see what he can do with the resources. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think he's done an amazing job. And then, Garrett, we can move on to our Premier League predictions, which we did at the beginning of the season, of course, before a single ball was kicked. It was our four, very first podcast episode, if you want to go back and listen to it uh, and see how ridiculously off we were. Uh, it could be fun, but we can talk about the couple that we actually got right, Garrett. Uh, of course, at the bottom of the table, we both got Norwich City correct. Uh, knew that they would be dead bottom of the Premier League. Not really surprising there. 19th, I got right as well, was Watford. Uh, so I got two of those three relegated clubs correct. Um, and then at the top of the table, I got City. Maybe it was a little biased of a prediction, but I don't think so. Uh, I, I regret that I put Chelsea second there because I just I was talking about if you go back and listen to the episode I was talking about how they were overhyped because they won that UCL and it, it just didn't make sense why everyone was thinking that they were going to be all of a sudden better than Liverpool but somehow I gave him into the hype anyway Garrett yeah I mean I think it might have been something to do with the pressure of me putting Chelsea I mean I guess obviously you made the prediction before we told each other's predictions but before we shared them, we had been talking and I was saying, oh, no, Chelsea are winning the title. You're screwed. La, la, la. Obviously, Chelsea did not win the title. So I got that wrong. Uh, going back towards the bottom of the table, I didn't have Watford going down. I had Watford staying up. And I'll still back the fact that if they had kept Zisco Munoz, I think they had a good chance of staying up. I mean, they, he was in 14th when they sacked him. But I guess when you're predicting Watford, you just have to take into account that they will at some point sack their manager for no reason and replace him with someone worse. They do it every single year. So I, I guess I should have seen that coming. Um, and then I, I had Brentford in 19th, actually, instead, the other third, if you will, right? Brentford, Watford. Um, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I didn't think they had added enough in, in the transfer window to stay up. Um, but I also didn't predict them getting Christian Eriksen in the middle of the season, who I think made a tremendous difference for them. And they've been in great form recently because Eriksen has been in great form recently. I mean, he was fantastic in that Everton game for sure. Um, and we know that he's a quality, quality player. He's, he is not a mid table, mid table Premier league player. He is a champions league caliber player. So that was a huge coup for, for Brentford. And, you know, we'll see if he stays there or not. Um, I feel like that's kind of a 50, 50 at this point, who knows, but um, that's why Brentford didn't go down. And then I had Southampton actually as my third relegated team, Justin, um, and they've ended the season horribly, but they did give themselves uh, enough of a cushion that, you know, they end up in 15th. So I, I only got one of the three, right? Justin, what was the third team you predicted to go down? I predicted Newcastle. So yeah, I didn't know they were going to get bought and then get Eddie Howe and then buy everyone in January. I couldn't have predicted all that. So I don't feel bad about that one, but I did predict uh, Brentford being the only one of the three promoted clubs to stay up. Um, and I would disagree with you that I think that even if they didn't get Ericsson, they would have stayed up anyway. I just had this feeling and I would have put them higher as well, but you know, we were talking about how, Oh, well, there's not a, a Sheffield or a Leeds every you know, season that comes up and, and finishes top half for some reason um, from the championship. But I just felt that Brentford, the way that they do business uh, is absolutely incredible. And I just, their players are always overperforming. So I just felt that they were definitely going to be the ones uh, to stay up. And I got that part right. Um, Arsenal, I don't know how I put them in eighth when I'm backing Arteta from the beginning of the season. I, I <laughs> I don't know how I'm contradicting myself so hard there. It makes no yeah, sense. But I saw that and I was shocked. And I was like, wait, wasn't 
wasn't Justin totally on the Arteta in bandwagon at the beginning of the season? And yeah, I was Arteta was. out, yet I put Arsenal sixth, and you put them eighth? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, my God. So confusing, man. And then I, I put United in the Champions League. Like, what was I thinking? What was I really thinking? I mean, so did I. I, I put him. I put him. Okay, well, this was definitely a biased take, but I put him above Liverpool just because I guess I wanted to. But, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, when they signed Ronaldo and Varane, you know, Obviously, yeah. the lack of a midfielder. Was, and Sancho. Problem, I mean, we thought Sancho was going to be. And Sancho. Well, I mean, I still think Sancho will be fine. I still think that. I still think Right, but underwhelming for but... season, of course. No, no. For, for this season, underwhelming for sure. And Varane, I think, by far the most underwhelming of the oh, three. Oh, it could have so... been a flop. Of the... He should have been the flop of the season conversation. Actually, that... you're right. He could have been up. I don't know why we didn't think of that just then. But, I mean, yeah, United, I put him third. You put him fourth. You know, they, they end up being sixth, which is a bit generous to them. Uh, yeah, but at least I got Spurs over Arsenal, which you had flipped. So I did have it flipped. Um, and, and you had, but you, neither of us predicted them to get top four. Obviously we both put Leicester fifth, uh, which did not age well, considering that they finished eighth, you know, and, and it honestly could have been way lower than that. They were, they were well below that for a long time this season. N- not as bad as what we thought about Villa though. We had, I had seventh and you had eighth. Meanwhile, finishing 14th. Or we could talk about how we both had Leeds ninth and they oh, finished God. 17th. Or how I had Everton 10th and you 11th and they were it's 16th almost relegated. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew we, we, we wouldn't be good, but I didn't think we would be this bad, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, we definitely if had only, some bad shouts here. And we were almost both spot on Burnley, to be fair. We both put 17th. We knew they were going to be in a relegation battle. We just thought that they would barely survive like they normally had, but... Hey, maybe they would have if they didn't sack Sean Dyche, huh? Yeah, I mean, do you think that was the wrong decision? I was going to bring that up earlier, but decided not to. Do you think? Oh, I think it, it has to be. Decision? I think it has to be considered the wrong decision now, doesn't it? I mean, look, if they if they go down, there's no way it's the right decision. I mean, okay, yes, but at the same time, kind of the the bounce that they got. Like they've won a bunch of games and still went down, and I don't think they would have won those games with Dyche. They looked pretty dead and buried other than when they were playing Everton, of course, under Sean Dyche towards the end of his tenure. And, and so I, like, I don't think they would have gotten that. I think they would have been relegated, you know, maybe the fourth, like with four or five weeks left, if they had kept Dyche. It's definitely debatable. But to me, when you're looking at it and Dyche has kept them up for so many years, even regardless of they've been in, you know, relegation battles before he, but he always finds a way. And so you have to consider that there's at least some possibility that he's done that. And we know that without him, Burnley were relegated to me. It has to be considered the wrong decision. I don't know. It's just because Everton and Leeds just started winning a bunch all of a sudden. Um, and, and Burnley did too. And I don't think that would have happened under Deitch. And, and honestly, like the fact they had that flurry of victories and still went down, I don't think Sean Deitch would have gotten that. And so I, I think they would have gone down anyway. So I wouldn't say it was the right decision to sack him, but I definitely don't think it was the wrong decision. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's most of the interesting ones, that Garrett, we covered. Um, and then we... We calculate the way that we calculate uh, accuracy uh, in in our predictions is we look at the differential for each team between where they actually finished and where we predicted that they would finish, um, whether up or down, just the differential. And we then add all of those up. Garrett, I believe you have those numbers for us. Yeah. So, Justin, drum roll, please. 
your differential was 56. So that means great, but no, I mean, not great. So last season, you know, before the podcast existed, obviously you had 54. So you, you a little bit of a drop off. You got a little bit of a drop off, just barely. Mine was 62. So you beat me yet again that I think that's, that's uh, well, actually we didn't calculate it this way uh, the, the first season, but that's now two years in a row. We've been calculating it this way that you've beat me. The one thing I will say is last year I was at 68, which is garbage. So at least I improved a bit up to 62. Um, you know, I really think that Brentford Watford kind of swap really screwed me up there because, you know, Brentford finished 13th. That's well above the relegation zone. And I had Watford staying up and, and that, you know, was unfortunate. And then obviously you getting city right. Didn't help me either. And then the other thing that we always play every single year is FPL. Should we share our, our finals uh, ranks there? Oh man. I, I, I don't know if either of us uh, are going to be super proud of it at the moment, but sure. <laughs> That's true. I guess I will go first. So, okay. I have to put out the disclaimer, Justin. Yeah. I have yeah, to put, put out it the out disclaimer. There. I do not use Liverpool players on FPL. And I think I will probably have to change that next season if I want to be competitive. And after this year, I kind of want to be competitive. So, you know, keeping in mind, I cannot use Trent or Jota or Salah or Mane or literally anybody on Liverpool. Uh, my final rank is 1,356,000. Uh, obviously not good. It, it, that's a, I fell from last year where I also didn't use Liverpool players, but obviously they weren't as good last year, right? They finished third, just barely. Um, and, and last year I was like 700 K or something. Um, this year, 1.3 mil. Um, but considering where I was earlier in the season, wh- which was, you know, super high, there was a, at one point, my highest rank, Justin, I, I was at 4.3 million game week 17. That's almost halfway wow. through the season. And that's horrible. So I, I did really manage to pull it back towards the end of the year. So that's some encouragement for me. And then I, I think I'm going to have to abandon my principles, which makes me sick. Uh, you know, if I want to do well next year, which I kind of do. So, um, you know, I think 1.3 without Liverpool players is half decent. And we'll see how I do next year uh, playing the full game, if you will. Absolutely. I think the big uh, positive there for you is the way that you came back in the second half of the season, right? Because it was just an unfortunate start, uh, which, you know, always it can happen. Um, For me, though, I did basically the opposite, didn't I? I bottled it at the end. Oh, man. Um, My my final rank uh, was 101,664. I just missed the top 100K, which is just so painful because two weeks prior, I was at 50K. And so my goal then was let's finish the season in the top 50K. I thought that would be incredible. Uh, Finishing last season on 230K, I was like, this would be a a very large improvement. Um, And then I bottled it, man. I I don't even know what happened in the last two weeks. I even captained KDB when he scored four goals and I still doubled my rank in two weeks uh, (laughs) and fell out of the top hundred K, which, which on the last week I was, I I was in the 90 something thousand. And I just thought, please let me be in the top hundred K. I chose to captain Kane over sun, even though I knew sun was in the golden boot race. Uh, And I thought, you know, they're going to try and find him extra goals. And of course they did. That probably would have put me in the top 100K. Uh, so very frustrating, just not getting that that top 100K uh, mark. And then Garrett, the reason that we didn't live up to our 
in FPL abilities is probably because we got the golden boot prediction wrong. We got the playmaker prediction wrong. The only prediction we got right was golden glove, uh, which we both said Ederson and, and he did share it uh, with Allison, but golden boot, I believe I said Kane, you said Lukaku. In fact, it was Salah and Son. We, we had two chances at it and we still got it wrong. I picked the wrong Spurs player. <laughs> um, and then it was playmaker. We both picked De Bruyne, which I don't think is, is a bad pick, obviously. And it was Salah. But, um, you know, if, if we would have gotten those right, maybe we'd be doing a little bit better in FPL. And then quickly looking uh, at next season, just very, very quickly, because we got an, um, a mind-boggling quote, really, from Eric Ten Hag in his first uh, Manchester United interview press conference. Uh, he said about Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, in this moment, I admire them both. They play really fantastic football, but you can always see that an era can come to an end. I mean, he's he's saying that he's going to take down the two best coaches in the world uh, with a massively underperforming team, isn't he? I mean, is is that realistic? Um, Not anytime soon, but I guess he's not really putting a timeline on it, is he? Uh, I, I guess, you know, he's saying that he's the new era of, you know, Premier, the, the Premier League managers that, you know, he's going to do what Klopp did and come in and revive, you know, a historic team. La, la, la. I mean, I appreciate the confidence, but uh, he might be biting off more than he can chew. That's what it seems like to me. Uh, but but we'll see. Uh, I'll go out on a limb here already and say Manchester City are winning it again next season with Holland. Good luck with that, Eric Ten Hog. Uh, this kind of reminds me of the uh, Alan St. Maximin quote we discussed a few weeks ago, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the Alan St. Maximin quote was even more ridiculous to me than this one, but yeah, it, it does. Both a little bit too ambitious. Uh, but I mean, yeah, Eric Ten Hog maybe in five years. Good luck. Yeah. And just Justin uh, talking about next year. Um, we do have an exciting announcement, which is that we will be in England uh, towards the beginning of, of next season, going to some games. So um, really looking forward to making content, right? Absolutely. It's going to be really great. Uh, we constantly talk about the Prem. You have you know, been to England. You've been to Goodison Park and it's to some Prem games and things like that. I have never been. Um, and, and it will be great for us to be able to talk about the games that we're actually going to and provide uh, extra content that way it's going to be fantastic and that basically wraps up our Premier League coverage for this year Justin although next week we will be going through our Premier League team of the season obviously there's been a lot of controversy around like who Carragher and uh, Gary Neville have been picking recently mm -hmm. so we will give ours next week but other than that um, you know that draws a close to this season um, a season in which you had a lot of fun, me not so much. So hopefully next year we will both be having a great time um, while we are there in England. But with that, Justin, let's move on over to the United States to MLS, where we had both midweek and weekend action. Justin, starting with a clash at the top of the Western table, Austin FC visiting your LAFC at the Bank of California Stadium. What happened? Yeah, well, it was, it was one of the two games this whole season that I, I wasn't able to attend. Um, but uh, as you say, a, a massive, cla massive clash at the top of the Western Conference. Austin FC came in and got the job done. You can call it a shite house if you want, because they only had two shots on target and they buried them both, uh, Gabrielson and, and Fugundes. But 
LAFC needed to find a way to, to get something out of this game because they should have probably gotten at least a draw, if not a win. They had nearly 60% possession, 18 shots, seven of those on target. The old first goal they got was in the 86th minute and only came because of a penalty for Carlos Vela, which, you know, he dispatched. Um, they LAFC probably should have gotten a second penalty when uh, Diego Palacios was tripped in the box blatantly. I'm not sure how it wasn't given. Uh, would have been 2-2, but it's just LFC weren't able to find the back of the net in this game, unfortunately. Uh, and Austin come in and get their signature win so far this season, uh, which, you know, LFC really haven't gotten one so far, even though they're, they, they were top of the table until Austin FC won this game and put themselves top of the table. I just got to say, man, that Driussi assist on Fagundes' goal, man, that Rabona, insane. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. And it, it look, it sucks to have things like that happen against your own team, but that has to be assist of the year so far. That was just absolutely disgusting. And then at Children's Mercy Park, we had a massive fight between Sporting Kansas City and Colorado at the end of the game. We had four red cards in stoppage time uh, because of this fight. Fontas and Shaloy both sent off for Sporting Kansas City. Trusty and Estevez both sent off for Colorado. Uh, it was just a-, a brawl at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I mean, I guess it helped my Quakes that we didn't have to face Shaloy mid uh, or on the weekend, rather, because we, we played <laughs> SKC. So I'll take right. it that way. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a, a bit ridiculous. Speaking of your Quakes, Garrett, they won a thriller against Portland, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it was a come-from-behind victory. It, it snapped a horrible streak against Portland. We had not beat them since 2019 until this victory. It was Christian Paredes who opened the scoring for Portland, um, but we quickly equalized through Jackson Ewell, who scored his first of two headers this week because he also scored one against Kansas City. Um, but he made a fantastic run, uh, diving header. So that made it 1-1. Uh, and then the Quakes actually took a 2-1 lead through Jamiro Montero, um, who you know got his second goal for the Quakes. Um, and that made it 2-1 to the Quakes. But then Portland equalized through Tui Loma. But Montero would have the final word, picking up his brace, scoring the winner in the 80th minute, um, and also getting MLS Player of the Week um, by doing so. Absolutely. A big win for the Earthquakes who continue to uh, improve under Alex Cavello. Uh, And then we can move to the weekend where there were uh, two weather delays on Saturday. Uh, First one was in Columbus uh, with the LEFC crew game at lower.com field. And then the other one was in Nashville at Geodas Park uh, with the the Derby there, Nashville against Atlanta. Uh, Both games eventually did get underway, starting with LEFC. Uh, it was, you know, a weird first half chances, both ways, not really um, incredible chances and both missed um, for LAFC. Mamadou fall was playing right back. It was a really weird. He's, he's a center back and he's playing in a right back position because LAFC have no fit right backs. Um, and so it was just kind of a, a weird first half with Columbus dominating the midfield and LAFC trying to um, Counterattack through Chicho Arango having hold up play in the center circle, which just wasn't really effective. Um, but in the second half, Steve Sherndalu brought on Carlos Vela and Brian Rodriguez to change the dynamic of the game. And that's exactly what it did. Um, Carlos Vela getting 
what was to me one of his more impressive goals. Carlos Vela is obviously known for his glorious, you know, left-footed goals, uh, putting them in the top left corner. Uh, but this one was he outpaced uh, Josh Williams, the the Columbus center back. Then he bodied him off the ball. You know, he's a few inches shorter and much less uh, strong than Josh Williams. Bodied him off the ball, shoulder to shoulder, and then put it past the keeper Eloy Room. Uh, very simply. And then 10 minutes later, it was Jose Cifuentes uh, getting the second, just pouncing off a, a Darlington Nagby mistake that Chicho uh, won the ball back on Darlington Nagby pro- to blame for both uh, Columbus goals. And then it was um, Nashville, as I said, with the other rain delay. Uh, and that one ended 2-2 with CJ Sabong and Honey Mukhtar getting the goals for Nashville and Thiago Almada, and then a late equalizer in the 88th minute from Dom Dwyer. Uh, Dom so Dwyer no... of all people. I, I didn't even realize he was still playing. I won't, I won't lie. <laughs> but, he I mean, he this bounces game was... around a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he was, what, at Orlando, Kansas City. Yeah, he's been in a couple places. But, you know, this was like an explosion of goals here in like a five, what, seven-minute span. Sapong, 24th minute. Almada, who we both obviously put as – uh, predicted to be newcomer of the year in the 26th and then Mukhtar in the 31st and then nothing happened until that Dwyer equalizer but you know that was a crazy seven minutes there it sure was um and then on Sunday we had New York Red Bulls losing their first away game of the season you know they, they had won their first five away games which was uh tying MLS records and, and you thought okay they're going to make it six set the set the record alone because they're going to Miami and playing a poor Miami team they could not get the job done Miami wins two nil and your Miami have been decent recently actually you know um they've been picking up some wins uh, against teams that we you know don't really expect them to beat and they've gotten themselves off the bottom of the Eastern Conference they're up into 10th um, although they have played 13 games where most of the teams around them have played 12, but you know, 15 points, that's really not that bad. That's level with Portland with one game less played. So, you know, as much as we like to think inner Miami are poor, the fact of the matter is that, you know, overall, yes, but recently they've been doing all right. Yeah. And New York Red Bulls are, are a very quality team at the top of that East. So uh, uh, definitely a, a big win for them. Uh, another surprising result was the biggest result of the weekend, probably uh, scoreline wise, at least Houston Dynamo going to Carson uh, and smashing the Galaxy 3 0. Yeah, we both really enjoyed this one, didn't we? I mean, this was just clinicality, really. Like, I, I think the third goal for Houston from Ulfarsen just really um, summed up this game, which was just the Dynamo having quality in the final third and the Galaxy not. I mean, Carson, 73% possession for the Galaxy, six shots on target, 16 shots overall and they could not get one in the back of the net. Meanwhile, the Dynamo were blasting them in from all ang- angles, and that Olfarsen goal, you know, a couple stepovers, absolutely rasps it in off the bottom of the bar, top net. Like, it was a fantastic goal, um, and, you know, we both thoroughly enjoyed uh, Dynamo, who, you know, looks like they were on the up for a little bit and, and then declined again. Um, but, you know, they're with this win up into seventh now, so, you know, and Galaxy have been have been dropping. Right. We were talking about how after uh, El Trafico, they were towards the top of the table and they've been slipping. So, you know, something we both like to see. Absolutely, Garrett. Uh, and then we can stay in the U.S., but move from the league to the national team, because the June U.S. men's national team roster did drop. Uh, we have a couple, you know, big things. Well, Gagas Lanino was not on the roster, right? 
but he did commit to the United States, a massive get for the United States, who, uh, by the way, Wolves are looking to sign around a $3 million fee, which seems very low for me. There's also uh, Bayern, Chelsea, a couple others are interested, so nothing uh, definite yet but a big get for the United States there. And then the other massive dual national commitment that the United States got this week was Malik Tillman, uh, the 19-year-old midfielder out of Bayern Munich. Uh, Just incredible. I mean, he's been getting called up to Germany, youth national teams and things like that very early on. So uh, high hopes for Malik Tillman. Undoubtedly, he is on the June roster. Um, and to me, the only one, they're ones that really, really stick out are, are Joe Scally finally getting a call up. Um, fantastic for him. He really, really needed it and deserved it, right? Uh, not sure why Greg Berhalter yeah. has been so against calling him up. Um, he, you know, Greg has is just weird with these player picks, but what he does with this dual national recruitment is just absolutely undeniably incredible. Um probably the best in the world at, at doing this dual national thing. It's incredible how good he is at recruitment. Um, Georgie Mihaljevic getting uh, another call up. So he has had a few caps, but uh, he is just MVP level performances right now yeah. in MLS and Deserved. getting, getting his just reward. Exactly. And yeah, the he last scored one again this weekend, actually. Yeah. He, he's continually just burying them for Montreal and carrying them to uh the fourth place in the Eastern Conference right now. And then Haji Wright, uh, the last one for me, uh, a forward. He has never been capped by the United States, so good to get him in and get him uh, a cap, whether it be in the friendly or the Nations League later on, which, you know, these this roster will probably change slightly for the Nations League, um, but probably will be pretty, pretty similar. Uh, any other ones that stand out to you, Garrett? Um. In terms of inclusions, I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers is a name I haven't seen in a little while. So mm-hmm. um, that one's interesting. Obviously, we know about the injury to Miles Robinson. So, you know, we're always going to see center backs, a different yeah, center back. Palmer Brown in. as well. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and uh, you know, everybody's talking about John Brooks. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago um, and how, you know, his and Berhalter's relationship is not great. Um, although, you know, there was a quote from Berhalter um, yep. at some point this week saying, you know, oh, the door is not closed on John Brooks. I'm not sure if I believe that, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think if it were to hear him say regardless, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, if the door is not closed, then when you just had one of your best center backs, you know, go down for months at a time, surely you would call John Brooks into this spot. I'm not sure. I, I just don't really understand how the roster drop and that logic don't contradict if that makes sense. And then I guess the, the one other notable, um, I guess absentee would be, you know, we've been seeing Jordan Pifak on almost all of these rosters recently. And I guess that's who Haji Wright's coming to replace. We know Pifak, you know, wasn't at his best uh, at the end of a world cup qualifying, you know, the miss against Mexico being the thing that jumps come, comes to mind immediately. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I, I guess for Haji Wright to come in, someone was going to have to make way. And when you look at the rest of the list, we know that, Greg likes Par, Paul Ariola. We know that he likes Jordan Morris. Jesus Ferreira has been absolutely on fire in MLS, so no reason to not bring him. So I guess PFOC was kind of uh, the inclusion or the exclusion that we should have expected uh, for Haji Wright. Yeah, absolutely. Pepe as well, of course, right? Um, neither yeah. of them. The reason probably just being 
uh, form. Greg loves talking about form. It's it's the reason he gave for Brooks, right? Uh, Ariola in, in incredible form. He loves bringing him up. The, these are the reasons he, he says Joe Scally's in, in great form. That's why he finally got the call up. Um, but yeah, Haji Wright um, has very similar style to PFOC, right? Very strong uh, and bodying players in the box and that type of, um, you know, strong striker. So uh, definitely very excited to see what he can uh, give to the United States men's national team. Um, and then the other big question is not necessarily directly related to the, the United States men's national team, but it is about their biggest star, uh, Christian Pulisic, who this morning has changed his profile picture on his Instagram and removed Chelsea FC from his bio. Um, it's mean it's hinting that he's on his way out, which obviously we've been you know, looking at for a while and there's been a lot of rumors around, but that is a, a major development to just take those things out of your uh, social media, you know, bios. And to me means he's probably gone. Um, and so to me, the question then becomes, where does he go? Uh, I think there's a, a ton of options uh, around the world. And to me, the one that I would most prefer would, I mean, I'd be very happy with Juve, of course, if he went and go, got to play with Weston McKinney and, you know, he definitely has chance, good chance of winning trophies there. Um, but to me, the best thing for him would be if he went to Barcelona with Lewandowski, uh, I think that it would be, wow. he, he Pulisic's a tr very true winger. And if he were able to play off of Lewandowski and get the, the minutes that he would get at Barcelona um, with maybe, you know, a bombing on the other side or something like that, it would be really, I think, I think Barcelona could, uh, play really, really impressive football under Xavi and finally come back. And without Mbappe going to uh, Real Madrid, which we'll talk about in a minute, I think it, it still leaves the opportunity for Barcelona to compete for trophies in Spain. I mean, this is quite a turnaround from what he posted after the game on, on Sunday. You know, Chelsea ended up getting a 2-1 win against Watford at the bridge. And Pulisic, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to put it lightly, he missed a sitter. And uh, he posted a picture of him in his Chelsea uniform saying, I expect better from myself. I know that, you know, I'm going to work hard, la, la, la. And then the next day, literally, he, uh, um, you know, does this and removes Chelsea from his bio and whatnot. And it's, you know, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, Barcelona, it's an interesting shot. I just don't know if he would get as many minutes as maybe you think he would with, with Ansu Fati returning to health and stuff. I mean, that's definitely a, a really interesting development, um, a really interesting idea. I kind of like your thought process there. I don't know if that's the most likely place for him to go. I, I honestly could see him just moving to a different club in the Premier League, you know, settled in England. Um, you know, there wouldn't be any language barriers. I feel like if he was, if he was going to leave England, he might go back to Germany, honestly, because, you know, he's used to that culture. Yeah. I just, I don't think that I want him at, at Dortmund right now. Um, I just, there, you're, there's you have Bayern just winning all the trophies and you're not going to win very much. And Reina's already there. I want Reina to leave, not stay. So that, that's just my uh, thought process there. Um, but, you know, speaking of big moves, we talked about it. Kylian Mbappe decided to stay at PSG for the next three years. Uh, instead of going to Real Madrid, we learned this morning that Liverpool were also in the race, but PSG wins. Yeah, and I think I'm not entirely surprised. Um, I kind of had a feeling, even though there, those reports of an agreement with Real Madrid that we talked about last week, I don't know, it, it felt a bit premature to me. And, you know, with 
the offer that the rumored offer, at least that PSG made him, I can see why he'd want to stay, especially with, you know, Messi, Neymar, all these players that they have at PSG and, you know, Real Madrid are literally in the Champions League final. So it's not like that's a step down for him, but, you know, staying in Paris, I still think he could go to Real Madrid after this extension with PSG, right? It's only three years. It's not that long and, and he's still very young, right? So um, I'm not that surprised. What I am kind of surprised about is La Liga's reaction because mm. in my opinion, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, you know, they file a report to UEFA saying that, you know, this is corruption. This is ruining the economic market in football, la, 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 as if their two biggest clubs weren't the ones who literally formed the Super League to try and completely <laughs> overthrow all of UEFA. And as if, you know, the chairman of like the UEFA executive board isn't also the CEO of BSG. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, to me, it's, uh, I just think it's quite hypocritical, um, especially considering that, you know, both Barca and Real Madrid are, have been like in crazy financial situations um, with their debt and with, you know, stadiums and, and whatnot. And they're like, oh, this is ruining the economic market of football. Meanwhile, Barca and Real Madrid are 700 mil in debt buying players for exorbitant prices and stuff. So I don't know. For me, that's a La Liga look in the mirror moment. And with the timing of, oh, right after Mbappe decides not to go to La Liga, which they, of course, they would want because they lost Messi. So, you know, their biggest marketing, you know, tool at the moment is Benzema, who obviously is amazing, but he's not kind of the, he's not the brand of Messi or Ronaldo, obviously. And I'd, I'd even say that Mbappe is still probably you know, on, on a fame level with, you know, the world cup and everything is still that level above. Um, and, and so La Liga to me, it just seems like desperation of, you know, being super upset that Mbappe turned them down. Yeah. It's Florentino Perez being a baby, isn't it? Uh, I mean, he, he thinks that, Oh, La Liga will give me anything I want because that's what they do with Barca and Madrid. They do give them whatever they need to keep afloat and not, you know, have these major debt issues that they should have. Um, but he he's just upset and that's i mean that's why we see the reports of oh that he will never let mbappe come to madrid after what he did um but i do think that i i'm i'm a little bit more surprised than you because i think that the the way that mbappe has always wanted to go to madrid and the links and everybody everything just seemed all set in place and even benzema like posted on his instagram story uh, the picture of Tupac with his best friend who betrayed him, right? Obviously referring to Mbappe. I mean, the, the French national team camp is going to be really awkward uh, after this. It just, it does surprise me. Yeah. But I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it was, you know, a, it was a 50, it was either he stays or goes to Real Madrid. It was one or the other very binary. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. I just kind of had a feeling that he wouldn't want to leave with the unfinished, unfinished business um, and, and the way that they, you know, bottled the champions league more or less mm. to real madrid obviously um, and i still feel like i don't know he he will probably want to win the champions league at psg before he leaves which i think is very doable in the next three years although you know with city adding holland and you know having their own kind of super team at the moment uh it's definitely not going to be easy but um i don't know it, it didn't feel like the right timing um, just in my opinion for him to go but I, I could totally see him going at the end of this extension if florentino perez which I think he would totally be willing to take him back. I think that's just Florentino Perez being the showman that yeah. he is. Um, 
he like if Mbappe says, okay, now I'm ready to come. There's no way Perez turns him down. There's no way. So uh, yeah, I still feel like Mbappe in Madrid will happen at some point. Yeah. It definitely still a large possibility. It would have been crazy if he did go to Liverpool. We would have had that Holland versus Mbappe that everybody always wanted. They thought it would no, potentially happen. Nope. People wanted it at, at Madrid versus Barcelona. Have that uh, the new Ronaldo Messi, right? Uh, Garrett as an Evertonian is not down for that plan. No, nope. uh, and I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it as well. City fan, I'll take Holland. You don't need Mbappe. We don't need uh, more competition. Thanks so much. And then, Justin, we can move from Liga to Serie A, which was the final league, obviously, other than the Premier League, to uh, yet to have clinched a winner. It was AC Milan returning to the throne of Italy for the first time in 11 years, uh, winning the Scudetto. They picked up that win over Sassuolo that they needed uh, and pipped Inter to the title, their rivals. Um, so, you know, really amazing to see for them a, a new winner over there, um, which is, you know, it's good to see after you know, so much Juventus dominance that we've now had both Inter and AC Milan winning titles in the last two years. Um, so I, I really th think that's cool to see. And I hope that there's more competition in Italy to come and that it stays kind of a toss up every season instead of Juve, you know, just getting back to winning it every year. So, uh, you know, I, I really liked that, that we had another new winner in uh, one of the top five leagues. Yeah, Garrett, absolutely agree with you. We love, uh, new winners and Juve not dominating. I was hoping that Roma would be able to return to their glory with uh, the addition of Jose Mourinho and Abraham on the pitch, of course. Uh, I thought it could be a really good season for them. They underwhelmed in Serie A, finishing sixth. Um, but, you know, they are in the final of the Europa Conference League, which is um, going to be played tomorrow as this is released. So, uh, hopefully they can, you know, win a trophy and then maybe compete next season in Serie A. We could have uh, a four or a five horse race in Serie A next season to be really, really exciting. I think it's really interesting to see, um, you know, a couple players going to Serie A from, from the Prem, some English players, which is, you know, that's not a road well-traveled in the past and, and being really successful, right? Tammy Abraham has been fantastic for Roma and, and set the record for the most goals scored by an Englishman in Serie A. And then we know about Fikayo Tamori, who is, totally hit the ground running at Milan and has now um, been a huge part of them winning their first Scudetto in 11 years. So uh, I really wonder if, you know, more teams in Italy might start capitalizing on some of the, I guess, unwanted or forgotten players in, uh, in the Premier League. And then we don't cover women's football enough, but we do have to cover the UEFA Women's Champions League final in which Lyon beat Barcelona 3-1. to one. Uh, It is their fourth UCL title in the past five years. Lyon is just dominant in women's football, aren't they? Uh, with Ada Hagerberg being pr probably the best you know, player in the world, I think most people would agree, uh, getting the second goal for Lyon in this game. Uh, but just more dominance from Lyon. Barca were the one uh, to win that, that wasn't Lyon in the past five years, but just continued dominance uh, and hopefully we can see more variety uh, in the women's football top of Europe. Yeah. I mean, I think France are doing a really good job in general. You see a lot of uh, players coming to England to, to play for uh, the women's Premier League clubs, um, you know, who are like some of Lyon's bench players and they absolutely kill it in England because, you know, that's how good Lyon's program is. And, and you know, it's really great to see and hopefully, you know, obviously Barcelona have done a really good job. They set like, a, I'm pretty sure they set a record for women's attendance at, at the Camp Nou earlier this season. 
Um, so if we can see more of the top clubs really investing um, and, and getting on board with the women's game, that would be fantastic. But yeah, maybe seeing someone other than Lyon or Barca win for once would be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Garrett, we can move to our relatively new segment that we've been doing for a couple of weeks now, our moment of the week. Now, obviously, our, our biggest moments was City for me and Everton for you, but we try and pick ones that are less um, out in it, less top leagues and less well known. Um, for me, it had to be Sunderland, who, after you know they historic club got relegated from the Premier League and then immediately relegated down to League One and have been in League One for a few new years now and finally have been able to return to their uh, winning ways and, and win a promotion playoff final 2-0 against Wickham to put them into the championship. Justin, my moment of the week also comes from uh, promotion playoffs in England, but from the championship promotion playoffs, which was Bree Samba, the Nottingham Forest goalkeeper, cool as you like, saving three penalties in their shootout in the second leg of the playoff semifinal. Um, and Nottingham Forest will now be facing Huddersfield uh, in the championship playoff final at Wembley the day after the Champions League final. Um, and I won't lie, I'm probably looking forward to that game more than the Champions League final itself, considering I want, <laughs> I don't like either of the teams in the Champions League final. And I'm pulling hard for Nottingham Forest to get promoted because, you know, huge historic club have won European Cups, belong back in the top flight, and they haven't been in the top flight in over 20 years. So um, I think having them and Leeds back in the Prem next season um, would be amazing. Hey, financially, the, that promotion game is probably bigger than the UEFA Champions League final for, for the teams in it. And with that, Justin, we have one more new segment, uh, the game of the week. So uh, honestly, that would probably be mine. It would be the championship playoff final after the Champions League. Obviously, everybody knows that the Champions League final is going on, Justin. There's a couple other big games coming up this week, even though a lot of the European competitions are wrapping up. What is your game of the week? Yeah, we don't, we're obviously going to cover the Champions League final and these type of things, but we want to pick uh, a, le- a game that maybe not everybody's going to watch, but it is a massive game this week. And we're going to pick an MLS game this, or not an MLS game, but a game between MLS teams. Uh, it is in the US Open Cup and it is El Trafico between LAFC and LA Galaxy. It will be in Carson uh, at Dignity Health Sports Park, which LAFC has never gotten a win in, but. Uh, Carson are the galaxy are very, very poor form right now. And um, the one time that LFC have met galaxy in a, you know, a playoff format, a knockout format, they won five, three. Yeah. Maybe you guys can finally break that duck, which we've talked about. This seems like a very good opportunity. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any excuses if you mess it up this time, Justin. So I'm hoping you pull through. Uh, I hope so, man. Uh, yeah, I should be in attendance. Uh, we'll see about that. Probably will be. And then, uh, but the new segment, we will be covering this game in detail next episode. So if you, uh, want to watch it and hear our analysis of it next week, that, that will be our new segment. And with that, that brings this episode to a close. Thank you all for listening to the end. If you made it this far, obviously a lot to talk about with the end of these seasons, but um, we're really looking forward to bringing some different content this summer, hopefully some more guests, some more interviews and whatnot. 
Um, now that, you know, most of the leagues will be finished, uh, obviously we will be continuing our MLS coverage. Um, but yeah, thank you for making it to the end of the Premier League season with us. It's been a, a real pleasure. Uh, and we will see you next week for our team of the season uh, and some more other new coverage.